Welcome everybody to what we've just discovered is the 70th uh, podcast slash digital masterclass that we've we've run. Um, and today's session, we're going to focus on the time to stand out is now pivot your page strategy to accelerate customer acquisition. I think from our perspective, when we were looking to put this session together, um, there's obviously so many changes taking place in the in the you know business environment, but. I guess in wider society right now, and we wanted to talk about the role that, that sort of your paid marketing activity, or how you could utilise your paid marketing activity to really sort of optimise and make the most out of those changes that are taking place. Frankly, you won't have a lot of um, impact or input on those changes that are taking place, but um, you do have the opportunity as a business to decide how you approach this from an organisational perspective. The pandemic has driven consumers and companies into adopting new and existing technology at a rate never seen before. Research shows habits like more frequent online shopping and digital B2B engagement are set to stay as the UK begins to open up. Again, competition for new customers has never been as fierce. As I said, so today we're going to look at how businesses who pivot their approach using real-time insights will be best placed to capitalise on pent-up demand as as restrictions lift or as we, I guess, have seen today as restrictions lift, but are then potentially placed on hold and plans are ultimately changing all the time. Um, my name is David Norris. I'm the Performance Marketing Director here at MediaWorks. I'll be hosting uh, the session today. Um, Paul, I'll come to you next. Uh, hi, I'm Paul Muller. I'm a Managing Partner at MediaWorks in Leeds. Becca? Hi, I'm Becca, Head of Strategic Planning um, up and down in Leeds, up in Leeds, in Leeds. Yeah. <laughs> Ben? Hi, I'm Ben Hallmark and I'm the Head of Paid Strategy uh, at MediaWorks in our Newcastle office. Perfect. So I think following on from the conversation that we were having just right at the beginning of this session around, around uh, the time, you know, the way that we timestamp these sessions and people looking mm-hmm. back at these as, a, as an archive in years to come, no doubt, I think it's worth saying that that, you know, where are we at right now? So from, from our perspective, and I'll put you on this, Paul, what are the big shifts we've seen take place with lockdown easing and how do we expect the next few months to play out? Yeah, so um, so I think, you know, we've we've covered off a lot that, um, you know, obviously as a result of lockdown um, one, 1.0, um, you know, we saw a lot of people shopping online because they had to. And, um, you know, the, there was a lot of research being done throughout the whole of last year to say, um, is this actually a kind of permanent behavioural change or is it just a kind of flash in the pan? And, you know, we definitely saw last year that, you know, the impact from April to July was 43% of people shopped online in April and it went up to nearly 50% in July. Um, so, you know, and anecdotally and, you know, is if you own a website, you'll, you'll, you'll have seen that happen. And, you know, whilst there were winners and losers in lockdown, people who had... Um, e-commerce businesses were generally uh, selling more and seeing much higher levels of traffic. So I guess the critical question now is, um, is it sticking as we come out of um, lockdown three or two, or depending on where you live? Um, 
So we we have a look at our uh, global web index data, and what we can now see is that kind of seventy six percent of consumers in the UK said that they're still doing more shopping online compared to before the pandemic. So I think that I think the answer to the question is it going to stay? Well, it certainly is at the moment, and anecdotally, you can see that in your own lives, in your own businesses, um, and um, you know maybe people's habits have changed for good. Mm. Ben? Yeah, I think um, to, to just add to what Paul um, said, I think there was, I think I saw a stat last week and it was something like there's been seven years worth of digital growth within the space of six weeks at the very start of, of kind of the, the first lockdown, um, as we all had to kind of get used to, you know, staying in the house and ordering online. And I think that that shift is, is definitely one that is, is going to stay there, whether it stays at that level for, you know, ongoing is, is another question, but there's definitely a, a real big increase and that, that increase is going to stay. Um, it just depends on what level of that increase is, mm. is going to be there. But seven years worth of growth in six weeks is it's a substantial amount. Um, and, and, you know, we all have to kind of kind of react to it. But as kind of lockdowns change, you know, as Paul said, we're on version three or four or whatever it is now. Um, there are a lot of kind of key categories which have really reaped the rewards and, and some which, which haven't. Um, so, you know, um, if we're thinking about things that we haven't been able to do over the last year, things like holidays, we haven't really been able to go anywhere. So, you know, there are some categories such as a swimwear, which may have gone down uh, because, you know, we aren't shopping to, to spend two weeks by a pool. But there are a lot of kind of key categories that tend to peak as, as lockdowns ease. So, you know, most recently as... Uh, I believe the last one was the 17th of May. It feels like an eternity ago now, but beginning of last week, you know, we were allowed to, to kind of be indoors. We're obviously allowed to be outdoors in bigger groups. So things such as outerwear will have seen a big increase as people are getting used to going out again and, you know, socializing outdoors. You know, we, we all were socializing indoors at one point. So I'm, I'm guessing that there would have been a, a big increase in things such as loungewear, you know, joggers, sweatshirts, the general kind of day-to-day loungewear would have, We've seen big increases, but as these lockdowns change, there there are different peaks and troughs with, with certainly different areas. You know, footwear will see a really big increase now that we're allowed to to start going out again. Um, and yeah, there's there's certain categories that we need to kind of jump on and make sure that we're, we're pushing those as much as we physically can during those those peak times and those reactive changes. Yeah, and I think I think that. Um... What what where where it kind of gets interesting is then obviously we've been allowed out more so so you know hospitality has, has suddenly been allowed to open so we've seen really big uh, increases in searches for kind of restaurants beer gardens uh, going to get your haircut all the things that you could, that you know you, you're allowed to do um, and I think there's been some interesting articles written about. Um, well, if people are going out more, does that mean that the high street is going to benefit, or is the high street going to benefit versus the online stores? And um, and you know, so we were we were looking into that a little bit, and um, kind of what what the data is showing at the moment is that kind of high street footfall is down about sixteen percent at the moment compared to pre pandemic pre pandemic levels. You thought you'd be able to say these words by now, wouldn't you? Pre pandemic. <laughs> Um, so yeah, footfall's down about sixteen percent, but you know, but but in, 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 up an incredible amount from where it was in April. So it was kind of up one hundred and fifty percent as we as we came out of lockdown. But it's still it's still down, um, and 
it's still the case that the kind of the market towns, so that, you know, the smaller towns um, that kind of surround the cities are kind of showing the strongest growth. So still people are liking to stay local and that, that's continued. Um, you know, and, and places like London are, re- are still really feeling the pain. So central London is still much quieter, mm-hmm. where, it's, where it's only got half as many shoppers as it had a year ago, and which is quite staggering when you when you consider that. And, you know, again, reading round, you, you know, tourism in London's taken a big hit they have a lot of visitors to to London from from other countries so you know it's it's in, it'll be interesting to see um you know how 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 London toughs it out um I mean on on the flip side of that we know that there's kind of been the bank of Covid has been happening where people you know people who are fortunate enough to have, you know kept jobs and kept salaries going have actually saved a lot of money uh, and actually the level that consumers are spending at is up 10 percent um from where we were at last year so there's some there's some good news there and I think for me one of the most interesting things about how so so you know that's good for the high street but it's good for online as well but I think I think one of the really interesting things that we could see a quite a big shift in um is you know the the bad news about the pandemic for the high street is that we've lost about 80,000 retail units have gone out of business um during the pandemic um and you know that's a lot of empty retail space and I think even before we were going into the pandemic and uncertainty around things like Brexit and, you know, the, the, the gradual change in shopping habits to online, was there was, st- there, was, there was already a lot of questions being asked about what role the high street should play in the kind of consumer shopping experience or the brand experience of a particular retailer. So, you know, we'd already seen um, retail models like Made.com, where mm. we have a Made.com um, just outside Leeds, where you basically go in the shop, you can see everything, try everything, sit on everything, and then the shop assistant has an iPad that is literally just into the website, orders orders the item for you, takes the payment, take check stock, and you know you've got that hybrid between the online model and the real world model. Um, Sofa.com is very very similar. Um, one of our clients, uh, Dowsing and Reynolds, they they pretty much use their shop as a retail uh, as a showroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, companies like John Lewis were talking about that a few years ago. Um, it's always been a bit of a dystopian, utopian vision that the high street could become this more joyous experience where you're not actually weighed down by loads of bags, mm. that all the big stuff gets delivered home and mm. you're just buying stuff that's going to be a bit more for the day. So I, th- I think that, you know, that's that's a real trend to keep an eye on, that, you know, the, the shifts that we've seen, the fact that there is all that empty retail space, it, sh- it could be going at quite good good rates for once. Um, I think that's going to be very interesting to see how that impacts on the world of our online mm-hmm. retail, which we're really going to focus on for the rest of this um, yeah. session. Yeah, I think just to come in on that part, I think the other thing I'd be saying there is... Um, I think you can imagine, can't you, very, very easily how you do move to that sort of dystopian view of, of, of it being much more sort of a, a showroom approach because people are much more confident, you know, with the whole infrastructure, i.e. delivery, you know, that the, that that doesn't have as many barriers as it previously had where people were sort of in that immediacy mode, whereas the reality is we know that the infrastructure can, can withstand yeah. a lot, actually, and people who you know, primarily would have wanted to go and purchase in, in shop previously are actually now way more digital literate. So I think that for me, yeah. I'm digitally engaged. I think it presents a massive amount of opportunity. Yeah, and, it, and even things like uptake of contactless payment methods, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of people had, had stopped cash and we're using, using other methods. But, you know, 
I, I don't know exactly the percentage, but but I've read you know uh, recently you know that contact payment, contactless payment is now you know really really pretty ubiquitous regardless of your age and demographic. So mm-hmm. people going into a shop and having Apple Pay or Google Pay on their phone and just tapping for things, um, yes. and, and not just in a pub or a restaurant, but in a in a you know anywhere. So yeah, all those barriers are starting to go. Yeah, it's no, it's definitely. And I guess to come, on, to come in on that then, Becca, I just had a question around, mm. around you know, we've talked a bit about consumer behaviour and how that's changed. But I guess from our perspective, from a you know, from a marketing perspective, because I'm conscious of there'll be a lot, you know, a lot of people who are watching, listening, this will will be um from a marketing background are interested in how this is going to impact on them. What would you suggest the next steps be then when you've got consumer behaviours changing the way that they are right now? Yeah, I guess really, um, like you say, David, it's about you know understanding more about your audience really and I think that's something we're really passionate um, about at MediaWorks really understanding the ins and outs of you know what your audience are interested in what their behaviours are where they're shopping online what that consumer journey is and um, so we'll often kind of start it looking at audience personas and that can be looking at everything from using tools like YouGov to understand um, what kind of brands they're buying are they buying online are they using click and collect services you know all of that kind of thing. Um, but looking at search data, looking at social listening, um, having a look at what competitors are doing as well and really building out that picture to understand, um, you know, where our audience is at the moment and how we can best reach them, really. And I think there's, you know, there's a huge breadth of different sources that we can use online to look at all of that. But I think, um, and, you know, understanding their online behaviour, but I actually think there's, you know, I guess really going back to what we were saying there, that kind of like that mixing of real world and digital, actually understanding how the high street's doing at the moment and um you know google kind of provide footfall reports based on google map data so understanding actually not only where are your audience online and how are they consuming online but actually bringing that offline as well what kind of you know where are they visiting are they going to retail like we said are they going to city centers is it actually all about kind of local and suburbs at the moment and really understanding more around that um, can be really, really important. Um, so I think definitely building out that picture and understanding more about that can really help you, you know, your channels, your messaging, all the different tactics you'll use. And then I think really adapting that messaging and making sure we're being as relevant as possible. So, you know, if it's, you know, we talked about kind of retail and Ben was talking about people buying lots of outerwear and shoes at the moment because we're going out. But, you know, I think the fashion retailers have been particularly good at this of kind of June 21st outfits and things like that and really, really driving that super relevant message um, that I guess just gets on the same way wavelength as people and you know lets us know that we're in their world they understand what we understand what they're doing and then being super reactive to it yeah, I think it feels more personalized for me anyway when when, when you see that the, the organization whether you're in a B2C market or a B2B market mm. are sort of considering the way that the world's adapting and moving and therefore trying to tailor their messaging to meet and align with those needs mm-hmm. then from a search perspective then how do we how do we then tap into that so I think one of the, the really key things, and we kind of briefly touched on this earlier on, is around that demand piece. What is the demand like right now and how do we how do we adapt to that? So if we talk about retail, for example, we know that things change with seasonality. So we go from spring, summer into autumn, winter, and there's just a natural trend from 
shorts and t-shirts into jackets and, and you know warmer pieces but I think certainly something that we've learned over the last year is that we need to be even more reactive than that and that's something that we've you know looked at quite quite a lot with some of our clients and Becca touched on one really important point there which is around you know the, the end of, well, we call it the end of lockdown. I don't want to put that, put that in there as an exact name right now. But what could be the end of lockdown when things start to really relax and people focusing on those specific dates, it creates a hype and people start to buy into that, that whole formal messaging and they want to start buying these key categories early on. So monitoring those demands is, is really key because it, you know, everyone wants to make as much money as physically possible. And if there is a bit of hype or there is a bit of FOMO going around, then, you know, you need to jump on those categories and, and make the most of them as quickly as you can. Uh, and, you know, making sure that you're there at the right time it is really, really essential for that. And I guess, Ben, then, then that leads us over to a question around sort of what are the benefits of using paid channels or various channels to deliver sort of dynamic message changes to customers? Yeah, well, when it comes to dynamic messaging, the really key part there is that you're going to get access to a load more data than you would do if you were doing, you know, kind of standard keyword targeting, which is, you know, natural. That's that's a good approach to take. But there's a there, there is a stat. I think it's around 17% of all searches every year are brands new, and you know, unless you are doing all of those searches yourself, there is going to be some elements that you are going to miss there. And dynamic search allows you to, to pick up those kind of those insights, those things that people are looking for. There's definitely been a trend over the last few years where people are kind of moving away from, you know, standard ways of looking for a specific product. And now that we have a lot of voice integration with things like Alexa and Google Home and all these kind of things, people are asking questions rather than looking for specific things. So, you know, unless you are specifically targeting a set list of questions which your website can answer, mm. there will be an increased demand for for those types of searches. So uh, being available and using dynamic search and that kind of thing allows you to to really make the most of that and allows you to develop as, as early as possible. And I think the real benefit of, of using things like that is you can be reactive really, really quickly, a lot quicker than, you know, a, a standard ad format, let's say, for example, because everything is dynamic. It's based on the user search specifically, and it looks much more tailored. Uh, and that makes it more relatable to the user. They cling on a little bit more. It gives a bit more additional trust as well. So all of these are really kind of key factors in not only winning new customers, but keeping current ones as well. And just uh, just just one little thing. I think we've just, and it'll be very interesting to see what the data says about it, but about, you know, when, when dynamic um, search ads can be really valuable. You've just had a really interesting two weeks where you've had end of lockdown versus weather. And yeah. weather would normally be a massive driver of, mm. of these things, but it's been cold, it's been pouring down with rain, and you're sat there trying to sell swimwear while the holiday market has been going up and down. You can travel, mm. you can't travel. Um, and, you know, you say there's a lot of unpredictability at the moment, and um, small things will trigger, you know, like you said, Ben, micro peaks in, in demand and interest. And I, think, and I think the other thing to come in on there is, as well is, is around that that awareness piece though as well Paul at the top of that because as you say I think it's one thing that it's it's very demand driven but I also think we have to accept that consumers the whole consumer decision making process has changed somewhat and social does present the opportunity definitely yeah I I have a bit of a sense that people need re-educating on how to spend their money 
<laughs> yeah. what to buy we've we've just gone through 12 months of not buying so many mm. different things and buying you know another set the mm. the the importance of advertising at the moment and you know is critical uh you know it's been funny because people have tried new things so there's been a lot more trial of different brands but also 12 months is enough time for people to get set in their ways again mm. so you know and advertising and social advertising and paid social can can really re-stimulate that kind of interest yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, I read something the other week which was around sort of 28 days to create a habit. You know, yeah. the same donor, it takes 28 yeah. days to create a habit. And, and you know, we've had a, what feels like 28 months, never mind 28 years. <laughs> it's moving around all the time. And I think that you're totally right. I think there's an opportunity to really, you know, almost throw away what people previously knew and people's previous behaviour and consumption patterns because actually things have changed that much that that – you know, as you probably rightly ha- highlight there, Paul, I think there's an opportunity, a major opportunity to get your brand in front of consumers who potentially would never have been in your target audience, mm. would never have engaged with your brand previously. And I think that, you know, statistic here around B2B is 70 to 80% of, of B2B decision makers prefer remote human interaction or digital self-service. So mm. online is becoming, you know, uh, is key for becoming aware of new products and services. And I think, you know, if, if we're talking about that from a B2B perspective, that will only be exacerbated in the B2C market because, you know, individual consumption is very, very different to, you know, group-based consumption or consuming on behalf of your business. So from my perspective, I think it just sort of reiterates the point that things have moved on and things are changing and mm. the paid channels can definitely, definitely give you that instant impact that instant opportunity to speak to your customer marry that yeah. marry that up with ever-changing data and more people online mm. you know which is both a it's a double-edged sword because obviously more people online normally more competition means increased cost but more opportunity so it, it, it's a real double-edged sword but i do yeah. think I- Sorry, Paul. I was just to say on, on the B2B side as well, a lot of the briefs that we've been working on and projects that, you know, that 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 stat that you said that, um, you know, B2B buyers uh, are going to prefer kind of remote interaction. And, you know, a lot of the so, so you know, we've been looking at some really clever campaigns within LinkedIn um, mm-hmm. on the paid side, but also. I think, you know, one of the things that we've been talking to our B2B clients a lot about is then really really thinking hard about what that brand experience is going to be when it's remote so you can't rely on just the charm and the gift of the gab mm. from the from yeah. the from the sales team that we you know you've got to up your game on your collateral we've been doing some very fancy powerpoint um designs and brand experiences for people thinking about virtual conferences think about your webinars and upping your game all around so that, that b2b remote experience is is on point um and it's 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 quite amazing that that you know you would think that that some big businesses would be would be really on that, but they're not. That it suddenly mm. dawned on them: we need to up our digital game. Yeah, yeah. And I think for me, it's about as well is how do you align all of that as well? So it's not just about having a great experience when you know we talked about this when somebody comes into your store and and has that fantastic experience or or when they land on your website. It also needs to marry along along the lines and the promotional material that you're mm. putting out there. You know, I'm thinking about yeah. things like Instagram ex- experiences or, or you yeah. know, the use of video to really showcase what you do. Yeah. I think, 
people are accepting. Uh, and, and the need and the need to focus on generating good quality content and original content from mm. from B two B businesses and. Uh, yeah, you you need it if you're going to play on the digital playing field because you need to grab attention and you need to offer something of value. Yeah, mm. I've got a question that's came in actually that sort of links in with that. So in terms of um, from Lee, so what impact do you think the new hybrid consumer behaviours uh, will have on the goods and supply chain pricing? Um, you would think, I think that that came in when we were talking about the kind of hybrid between online and offline. So yeah. you'd, well, from a consumer point of view, you'd, you'd hope that everything's going to be cheap. And from a business point of view, mm-hmm. you've got less logistics in terms of getting stock to and from stores and all that kind of thing. So um, you think that businesses would save money and consumers, you'd be able to offer more competitive mm. pricing. However, you might want to use it as an opportunity to maintain your consumer pricing or even, um, well, you know, I don't see any reason why you'd want to reduce it in a hybrid model because you can offer more in terms of a customer experience within the shop, more personal service advice, that kind of thing, Mm. uh, to a company or kind of showroom experience. Um, But, yeah, I think there's, yeah, I think think it's a really interesting question, but you'd think there'd be winners on both sides. Yeah, and I think the thing for me is about driving value. I think that's what we're talking, we've been Mm -hmm. talking about. About how you how you drive that value, but also how you um, ensure that you're conveying that that sense of value to the customer. So it's not just about the value that you're seeing; it's about the value that you're passing on to your customer. And I think that you know, going back to the social element or the mm. you know email marketing or the community based marketing or the content based marketing, it's all about how you convey that value because we've just you know finished saying there that consumer behaviour has changed and people are behaving different you know, engaging in different streams or potentially engaging through channels that they've not seen before. Mm. So I think it's a real opportunity to, to you know, repurpose and re- reposition your brand or your offering. Yeah, um, definitely. And I say, I think we saw some really interesting stuff around B2B. And I think there's some reports right at the beginning of the pandemic talking about how, you know, it used to all be about thought leadership and quite a kind of distance relationship with your customer. But now, you know, B2B is a lot more personal and it's in your bedroom, in your bedroom. Not like that, but yeah. But in terms of you know, you having a much more personal relationship with audiences, and you know, it doesn't have to be this really distanced kind of, um, you know, thought leadership piece. It's actually like you know, the guy on TV that had his kid running in when he was doing an interview. There's a much more kind of like open aspect of B two B. So I think that kind of reposition is really interesting. Thinking about um, it being more personal rather than like I say, just this kind of we're very clever and you should hope to buy from us. Yeah, agreed. And I think that leads me nicely sort of to the, to, the, to the final point that I was going to make. Our final question is, from a paid search perspective then, um, have we got any tips uh, about key actions you should be taking? And I want to really come in on that first to, to answer another question that we've received really, which is, can we recommend any good reports or tools that collate things like the Google footfall report, search report, shifts in consumer behaviour? Um, I know from, from our perspective, one of the first place that we would look at is things like Google Trends. You know, mm-hmm. always be, be looking at what trends you're seeing in there. It creates massive amounts of search volume. So you can look at whether something's trending up or trending down against the, the market averages. Um, we also, from a footfall perspective, you can use things like Google's community mobility reports, which again, like Becca highlighted previously, will allow you to really map out where you know football, footfall increases and decreases are being seen. And that's actually really quite a... A, a responsive piece of data mm. so it, it's quite live and, and you can get some really good insight from that 
And then I think the other area, and Ben will back me up on this, would be probably a keyword planner. You know, so even looking at like the search volumes that you're seeing in there over time, and it might be that you have to monitor that performance over a period of time and looking where the demand is that you're seeing. But I think that one of the things that we're seeing is, is that those consumer searches are more fluid than they've probably ever been before. Um, and that's probably because people are sort of going for those longer term, longer tail sort of keywords that are more specific because everybody's got quite specific queries um, mm -hmm. right now relating to their own scenario or situation. Yeah, so I think to, to I guess, add to that from a, from a paid search perspective, I think there is, there's a lot more value certainly since the outbreak of COVID that we that we can drive through specific channels. And, and I want to kind of relate this back to, let's, let's talk about the easing of, of kind of lockdown. So if we go back maybe about six weeks when, when stores first started to open, you know, so something that we had a, you know, a look at for a lot of our clients, especially those in the, in the retail industry was around, how do we give out information around store openings? You know, we, we've had a year of people really only buying online for, you know, a kind of little break that we had in the middle of last year. And there was this seven years worth of growth again in six weeks. So what, what do those consumer habits look like? Do they stay there? You know, the, generally what we, we kind of found through, through some of the data that we had was the real big shift came from people who weren't necessarily digital literate. They weren't using online tools. They weren't online shopping. They did want to go to stores and all this kind of stuff. They did want to pop to their local Tesco rather than ordering online. You know, so utilizing things such as location extensions is a really big thing. Uh, you know, even if that consumer isn't necessarily going to shop online, they may be because they are now more, you know, they can use online much more savvy than they were a year ago, then they might simply be looking for those opening times instead mm -hmm. of, you know, potentially someone who could ring a store, they can now get the answer really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. And utilizing things such as location extensions allows you to kind of display information on where your local stores are, um, opening times, you know, all these kind of things are, are really key bits of information that will not only help the online um, the, on, the online part of your business, but also the offline as well. So that footfall kind of traffic and, and you know, it's, it's really useful for, for us as, as consumers. I think as well as that, there, there are some, you know, clever kind of tactics you can implement through, through local based campaigns or local inventory. So we'll, we'll cover local inventory first. So looking at the stores which are closer to you, display what products are in stock. You know, especially if you're a huge retailer, you aren't going to have every single pair of shoes in one specific store. You can have your full inventory online, but what does that look like in a, in a local store? So for, for us, what does the local store that I shop at at the Metro Center, what, what have they got in stock versus, you know, what the lead store, and they might be two completely different things. And myself and Becca might be looking for the exact same product, but different stock levels and different stores and using things like local inventory ads really give us that insight into whether we want to be an offline consumer or an online consumer. And that, mm -hmm. you know, utilizing online develops both of those, those elements. Um, and then I guess finally local campaigns, uh, you know, using hyper-targeting to, to really focus on a, a specific area. So if you, you know, you want to push something out that, that is only around a specific radius, local campaigns are going to be really key. You can integrate things such as Google Maps, uh, you know, YouTube and display, trying to push that incremental store footfall, um, utilizing every bit of, you know, kind of every asset that you've got, those real kind of um, interesting parts of your business to to try and increase that that footfall is is a key tactic when you're looking at, I guess, local uh, local users. Yeah, you got to you got to think that um, any kind of proximity based advertising is going to mm. be really critical as people kind of venture out into. 
um, the the high streets again and the shops that they used to shop at might have disappeared and you, you know just trying to get people to move around you know the cities and remind them of what they could be buying and that kind of thing um so i, th- I, I think i think it's going to be really interesting how we see proximity advertising mm. changing um but i think um for me the the thing is to to remember that we okay we've just come out of lockdown three but we have got another big um milestone coming up in a couple of weeks time mm-hmm. as we well hopefully um come out of um all the restrictions lifting so you know to think about what that might mean um we've talked about things like clothing but it might also put pressure on uh people wanting to get out and about transport it might be little holidays weekend breaks it might kind of just tip people into you know bigger purchases you know going and start looking at that car that you thought you might uh, be be wanting to trade up to um you know as well as little micro peaks like we've got father's day on june the 20th so i think it's um you know really important that you know kind of I, you know, we, we'd be recommending to all our clients is to kind of, um, you know, make, keep an eye on bids and budgets, make sure you've got capacity to kind of capitalise on on when we when we come out into the, the completely unregulated world and, and have mm-hmm. a think about, you know, what have we learned from this one and what, you know, what might we anticipate in terms of kind of unexpected peaks, troughs, opportunities, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it is yeah. a nice wide open, basically. Yeah, I think... Sorry, go on, David. Yeah, and I think, and I think for me, that is a massive point of note. Paul, to be honest, is because every, ahead of every single opening, we have seen search demands ramp right up. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen more people go online, more people um, putting in, in queries, questions into the search platforms. You know, the role of social into people um, actually finding new products or, or doing their research on on when things are open as well plays a massive role in that. So I think that you've got to make sure that. Your, if you like, your house is in order ahead of all these key milestones and key openings. Mm. Because if you're not, I guarantee somebody else will be. And we see that with, you know, that the housing companies that we work with. I'm thinking some of the florists that we work with, Ben. You know, that have seen amongst these micro peaks, have seen incredible surges in some of the traffic that the the, the seen towards their website across a range of industries. Yeah, I think that, you know, overall, really, the, the biggest piece to take away from here is flexibility, proactiveness, and reactiveness as well. And mm-hmm. some of those might kind of counter each other. But, mm-hmm. you, you know, what? I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here because we're thinking about all these kind of, you know, lockdowns and this kind of thing. You know, there's a lot of kind of talk in the news about potential local lockdowns with mm. the new variant and that kind of stuff and ourselves our our business may be affected by it. north pineside is one of the regions which has had some information overnight where you kind of the restrictions are a little bit tighter you know you've been told to, to keep a further distance and, and this kind of thing and avoid going into work if you can and when we get these little nuggets of information they are going to have a really big impact on what you do, regardless of what business you're in. So that reactivity and, and being flexible is going to play a really big part in what you do. You know, you know, touch wood, this doesn't happen, but one day you could be told you can't open your store again, you know, mm-hmm. for the foreseeable. And we need to, you know, we've dealt with a lot of that over the past 12 months, but, and it's given us a lot of insight, but we need to be prepared just in case that we need to do that again. Hopefully we don't and everything starts to go back to normal in a month's time and, you know, we can we can kind of have our lives back a little bit. But mm-hmm. we do need to have, there is a big caveat with all of this and I think everyone's learned is we have to be flexible and we have to react really quickly to what is, a, I guess, an ever-changing scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
no, and 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 I think that's a really good point, Ben. I think you know we we would often sort of advocate, and I think everybody was in business being proactive. But I think we all have to accept that with things like this, it is about being reactive sometimes, you know, and we are going to have to adjust. And I think that for me is where paid um, search channels does give you that degree of flexibility um, in a way that, for example, some of the other channels doesn't, you know, it doesn't take that that level of planning. It doesn't take that level of, you know, getting authority, doing the outreach piece. You can go into your platform, you can make those changes, or you can mm-hmm. set up your ads in a dynamic way where it actually pulls in a lot of that information and, and, and spits out the result, if you like. So mm-hmm. I think yeah. for me, it's, it's about that ability to be yeah. reactive. And, and and keep thinking that your your brand experience has got to work equally well in a virtual world as it does in the real yeah. world. The whole thing needs to join together that, you know, if 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 things do take a, a turn for the worse, you know, that you're prepared for it, that you're on point with your B2B, you know, not in-person marketing, that your brand experience is living and breathing through your, through your social channels, that your website delivers on that experience if you're selling direct, you know, get your relationships with your retailers sorted out. So it's the same. It's the, it's the same plan, but um, just um, you know, it just shows you how important that the digital footprint has got to be, be it, be it demand generation or or brand experience. Yeah, and I think from you know, uh, I'm conscious of time, so I want I want to really call a halt there. But you know, if anybody does want to speak to us about any of this, then obviously just just email in further into infomediaworks.co.uk. You know, we're happy to. Do a review of, of you know the brand presence. We're happy to do um, you know a review of your paid search activities from an audit perspective. So honestly, more than happy to sort of uh, pick, pick those up. I think my five final points would be around um, sort of definitely leading on from what Paul says is the role of that hybrid approach. Um, so that hybrid model coming into play and thinking about what that means for your organisation and where that balance sits. As we we you know go through this process of you know opening and potential closures and local lockdowns etc., where does the balance sit on a day to day basis, and how you can make sure that they're both aligned? Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's about sort of developing and reviewing your personas on a more regular basis because mm-hmm. your personas, you know, pre pandemic, during pandemic, post pandemic, fingers crossed, are going to have shifted considerably, and I think that you mm-hmm. have to have an understanding of of you know, your consumer that was your consumer probably isn't your core consumer anymore or your con- core consumer as you potentially known them previously. Mm-hmm. So that's likely to have moved on and evolved. So you've got to meet their needs and demands. I also think we need to understand sort of, as I say, that, that customer journey piece and understanding more widely, not just go out there and build personas, but then really work that through and say, right, what does the customer journey now look like? And again, linking back to that hybrid model, mm-hmm. I know we talked about this right at the beginning, but you know, does it does it now start uh, with somebody walking through the high street because actually they want to go out and get out and about and they stumble upon your store, and then actually, you know, your web's there to to sort of mop up that demand and, and, mm-hmm. and service the audience. Does it work the other way on, which probably has been the more traditional way that we consider it? I either find something online that then drives them to you know, um, an offline purchase. But I think you need to make sure you you have an understanding of that that sort of um, hybrid model, if you like. I think my fourth point would be sort of be responsive, but also don't don't turn your nose up having to be reactive. And that is in terms of budgets, in terms of channels and, and approach. So think about the messaging, think about the content that you're producing, think about the assets that you're using from a reactive perspective. 
I think what we've seen is some of the best organisations out there from a marketing perspective have really got on board with the idea of being reactive and jumping on board with some of the changes that you see mm-hmm. and being quite topical in the way that they promote their organisation and really, you know, going for local trends. And, and finally, I think, you know, do use things, think local as well. You know, do, you know, think about, you know, enabling um, reactivating sort of location extensions so make it easier for shoppers to find your stores. But also think of that from a B2B perspective, not just a B2C perspective. You know, I'm thinking here things like wholesalers, you know, wholesalers that might not have been open for a number of years and tradespeople actually sort of, you know, focusing on that and what that means. And, and you know, I think that there's an enormous opportunity there to really go after and engage with and re-educate a new audience and, and your existing audiences because, you know, we've talked about it, but things have changed that, that much that actually it's about making sure that you're responsive and reactive to, to consumer changes. Um, I think then that, that brings us to a nice conclusion. I'd just like to thank everybody for, you know, questions throughout. Um, I can see that there's been a question asked that we're going to pick up outside of this as well because we're running out of time. So thanks for that, Paul. But generally, just thank you very much. And we um, hope to see you all next week on the, the, the next installment, the 71st installment of the digital <laughs> classes. Thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you. Guys. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, hey.